You are Locked On Balls, your daily Tennessee Volunteers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Balls, your team every day. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here today. I hope everybody has been able to enjoy the holiday over the last few days. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Uh, my family and I did, spending some time here in Knoxville. Our first Christmas as a family of four with little Max, who arrived a few weeks ago. Uh, as I do this show, Owen is downstairs in the house playing with way too many toys uh, that he has. So we had a great time, and uh, it's good to be back here on the show after taking a couple of days off. There's a lot to get to as Tennessee is less than a week away from playing its bowl game. Tennessee's basketball team has a big game this weekend against Wisconsin. It's going to be at Thompson Bowling Arena on Saturday, so I'll get to that on today's show. I'm also going to look back at 2019 a little bit, a topic we did on Sports 180 on Thursday, the biggest games, the best plays of the year, uh, the year 2019 for Tennessee in football and basketball. I'm going to talk about that here in segment number one. It's a football season that did not get off to a good start, as you're aware of, but it ended up with a number of highlights. So I'm going to look at that top games and top plays for Tennessee in 2019. In segment number two, I'll get to Tennessee basketball as the Vols will have their first game without Lamonte Turner, and Tennessee has a quality opponent coming in to Thompson Bowling Arena. Wisconsin will be in Knoxville on Saturday, so I'll get to that in segment number two. A uh, very quick note on the Tennessee-Indiana game. Next week will be a lot of bowl talk with the Vols getting ready for their final game of the season, but uh, I'll go ahead and try to start getting you ready for that in segment number three of today's show. Locked on Vols, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available anywhere. You listen to podcasts, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, the third-party apps, and you can tell your smart speaker at home to play podcasts. Locked on V-O-L-S. Looking back at 2019, the, uh, the football season, of course, will have just been over the last few months. Talking Tennessee basketball, that's going to include what's happened this season, but mainly what happened during SEC play last season for Tennessee and then in the postseason as well. So I'll start with football and then get to basketball as well. The top games of the season that come to mind. I think you could take it a number of different directions. Which game was the most important win? Which game had the most drama? Which one did you just enjoy the most? I think the most common answer here would be the win against South Carolina. And I say that because, one, it was against Will Muschamp. And I think fans were very, I know fans were tired of losing to Will Muschamp. Tennessee was 0-7 against him heading into this year's game with four losses when he was at Florida and then three losses in his first three seasons at South Carolina. So Tennessee was able to get an important win against a team that Tennessee is trying to kind of climb over in the SEC East. South Carolina has been ahead of Tennessee the last couple of years. And Tennessee had not beaten Will Muschamp since he arrived in Columbia. So Tennessee got that win. Tennessee also blew out South Carolina. It's the one big win for Tennessee this year where it just all went Tennessee's way in the end. And it wasn't that way for four quarters. The first half was very close. South Carolina had the lead. But it was all Tennessee in the second half. And you finished with that block punt for a touchdown with Daniel Batuli. It just, Neyland Stadium kind of exploded that night. So I think I would lead the conversation there. The next game of the year, I would say, in the conversation, I think would be between Mississippi State and Kentucky, and I think this really just depends on what your criteria is. I'm going to say Mississippi State because of where Tennessee was at that point in the season. Tennessee was 1-4. and four. It had a Mississippi State team coming in that was still well thought of, was a pretty big favorite in Knoxville, and if Tennessee doesn't win that game, 
where does Tennessee season go from there? Because remember, Tennessee had put in a couple of weeks of work to get ready for the Georgia game, and the Vols came out and played better before, in the end, being blown out. But the players still came out of that game saying, we're making strides. We're making some progress. Let's go show it on the field. And they did that against Mississippi State. But it still took Tennessee holding on and making plays in the fourth quarter to win the game. Remember that 91-yard touchdown drive by Tennessee after Mississippi State had just scored to make it a three-point game. If Tennessee gives the ball back up there and Mississippi State comes back and wins, the season could have fallen apart. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it could have. That would have been a really critical point for Tennessee because the Vols then had to play Alabama. So if Tennessee had lost to Mississippi State, it then loses to Alabama. It's 1-6 and six and has to win out from there just to ensure it gets to a bowl game. And that would have been asking a lot. Tennessee did win out from there after that Bama game. But would it have done that without a win against Mississippi State? I'm not so sure. So I would put that ahead of Kentucky. And the Kentucky one is still important because, one, you don't want to lose to Kentucky. Two, it was on the road, and winning on the road in the SEC is never easy. And I also think fans have enjoyed the back and forth with Kentucky. Tennessee fans are really enjoying the Vols' success against the Wildcats in both football and basketball. I'm going to get to the basketball side in just a moment. So I would say South Carolina, Mississippi State, then Kentucky as the game of the year. The feedback I got on the basketball side was not unanimous, but close. Tennessee's win against Kentucky in the semifinal. The Vols and Wildcats split the regular season last year well this year but last season and they were both blowouts in the end Tennessee was blown out in Lexington Tennessee blew out Kentucky in Knoxville so of course the third game in the SEC tournament was a classic so the win over Kentucky in the semifinal was the easy answer I think for most Tennessee fans the two sleepers I think in this conversation would be the win in the swamp against Florida remember you had the Gator Chomps at the end and I think the kind of ridiculous reaction some fans enjoyed it some fans didn't like it we took a call or two that Monday on Sports 180 saying, I'm concerned that Tennessee's players won't be focused now because of that. And then they turn around and beat Arkansas by something like 19 points. So uh, Florida in the swamp. And then also, remember Tennessee holding on to beat Iowa. They ended up having to go, go to overtime. Tennessee blew a big lead there in the second round of the NCAA tournament. If Tennessee had lost that game, man, that would have been a really disappointing finish. But Tennessee was able to hold on. And that game, I think, was also memorable because Admiral Schofield stayed on the bench in, in overtime. He said, hey, Kyle Alexander's getting the job done for us. And he was, and he, and he stepped up in overtime. So Admiral, a team leader, one of your best players for sure, who's now playing for the Washington Wizards, he was willing to say in overtime, I'll stay on the bench. So uh, that's not going to be the game of the year, I wouldn't say, but it was a big one too. Tennessee's win, the ability to hold on against Iowa there in the second round of the NCAA tournament. You also considered the stage. The Kentucky win was in the SEC tournament. The Vols, unfortunately, were not able to win in the, the championship round. They lost to Auburn. But still, for Tennessee, that was that was a big deal. Lamonte Turner had that big shot. Play of the year, I would say, is that. That shot that he hit in the final minute against Kentucky in the SEC tournament. How about the plays of the year in football? My choice was the stop on fourth down against Kentucky. If you don't make that stop, you probably don't win the game. So it's a game-winning play, essentially. Also, that was another statement on where Tennessee's football team was and, and how it had grown over the season. In September, is Tennessee making that stop? I would say absolutely not. Tennessee probably would have been run through before a fourth down play, but uh, you had that too many men on the field penalty, so Kentucky moved closer to the goal line on third and fourth down, and the Vols got a stop. So 
to essentially win the game there. They, they did have to still go get a first down, but uh, Tennessee essentially won the game there on that fourth down stop was huge, and it said again what Daniel Batuli was able to do. And remember, Henry Toa Toa made a big stop on third down as well. I think that's the player of the year. The other nominees I would throw out would be Juwan Jennings, 48-yard touchdown catch, shedding three tackles against South Carolina. That put the Vols up, and Jennings just showed on that play how big of a beast he was, as he did on a number of plays this season. But I think that one would stand out. Another honorable mention would be Marquez Callaway and that touchdown catch that he made against Georgia. That was really kind of a statement play by Tennessee. Brian Maurer had taken over as the starting quarterback, so the Vols make a change there. And Tennessee came out with an explosive play. And Tennessee did not win the game, obviously, and the Vols were blown out in the end. But it still said that Tennessee was not giving up, as so many people were questioning where Tennessee was. And that was maybe the first sign of, hey, life is still there with the Vols. And then you know how things played out as the season went along. So I would choose that Marquez Callaway touchdown as a, a at least a mention, an honorable mention here. He made a number of big-time down-the-field plays for Tennessee. That was one that fans, I think, will always remember celebrating in the moment. Coming up next on Locked On Vols, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, I'm going to get you ready for the Tennessee-Wisconsin game. The Vols will have Wisconsin at Thompson Bowling Arena on Saturday. Grant Ramey of GoVols247.com will stop by to discuss. Right here on Locked On Vols. And Christmas is over, but you know what? You can still find great deals at BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. It's great for all the fans. Kind of goes with the theme of today's show. Go to Breaking.com slash LockedOn and feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I want to welcome to the show now Grant Ramey, who covers Tennessee basketball for GoVols247.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Grant Ramey. Grant, I appreciate the time as always, and the big story over the last few days has been Lamonte Turner with his playing time at Tennessee coming to an end, and that's right here in the middle of the season, of course. So how do you think that affects Tennessee, the roster, the personnel, and Tennessee's lineup, what Tennessee might try to do as the Vols get ready for this game coming up Saturday against Wisconsin? I mean, if you take Greg Barnes at his word, uh, like he said uh, Thursday uh, before or after practice when he met with reporters, that there's not going to be a ton of adjustments. They just kind of plug in somebody and, and keep going. But, I mean, what Lamonte did for this team, I mean, it's hard to really uh, understate or kind of undersell how important he was. I mean, he was the team leader in minutes. Uh, he was second in scoring. He was the team leader in assists far and away. I don't know what percentage of the assists he has at this point in the season. Uh, but it's a huge number. Uh, and he's a really good defensive guard when he gets locked in. Uh, obviously, he wasn't scoring nearly the way he'd scored in the past or hitting the shots that he'd hit in the past. His, his shooting percentages, if you compare them uh, this season uh, to his first three years at Tennessee, uh, or his first three years on the floor at Tennessee, that, that is a big difference. Uh, but just his leadership, uh, being a redshirt fifth-year senior, 
uh, being that guy in the backcourt, kind of the heart and soul of this team, even when he struggles, uh, he's one of the most effective players on the team. So the Tennessee basketball team is going to grow up in a hurry, figure out uh, an answer at point guard, uh, and they don't have a lot of time to waste because they have a big game against Wisconsin, like you mentioned, Saturday. And after that, it's straight into SEC play uh, the following Saturday at home against LSU. Yeah, and Grant, you know, the offense has already been a question, and we'll still spend a lot of time talking about what happens offensively. But uh, now I will have even bigger questions about the defensive side, which I remain confident in how Tennessee could play with Lamonte. So, I mean, that that's something that shouldn't be overlooked when the the offense, of course, will get so much attention. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and if you just kind of look at what this team was defensively or what this team can be defensively uh, over these first 11 games, I think they worked their way up to uh, 10th nationally in, in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Uh, and then they went to Cincinnati, and they just played awful on the defensive end. And it kind of showed in that game what they can be if they don't show up and they don't try to be the defensive team uh, that they've shown they can be. This team is – they have to have that defense every night to be in these games. They, they've shown uh, they're, they're not a good three-point shooting team. Um, that, that's not going to get any better, obviously, taking Lamonte Turner out of the equation. Uh, they're not really a consistent offensive team uh, when you go down the list. So they have to have that defense there every night to give themselves a chance. Uh, and if you play as well as they can defensively, you have a chance to beat just about anybody in the country. Uh, but it's a matter of can they find that success consistently now uh, with a rotation that's even thinner. I mean, they had a thin rotation even playing 33 minutes a night. So it's a, it's a, a you're, you're another man down, another body down, uh, and you're trying to make it work with this rotation. So uh, they're going to have to find some answers for sure. Grant Ramey, GoVols247.com. What do you make of the arrival of Santiago uh, Vescovi, what Rick Barnes has said about him, and, and how Lamonte's absence could potentially affect Vescovi's opportunity? I mean, on paper, it, it looks like one point guard out, one point guard in, and it really works out the timing and everything. I mean, he's getting here. Uh, he's supposed to schedule to arrive Saturday uh, before the, I guess, I don't know what time Saturday, but December 28th was the date that Rick Barnes said. So you would think, you know, you lose one guy, here's another guy to step in and play point guard. But at the same time, Rick Barnes is crazy about his point guard play. If you watch a Rick Barnes practice, he attacks his point guards like he attacks nobody else on the floor. I mean, it's a wonder that Jordan Bone just didn't up and transfer over the years because of the way Rick Barnes went after him uh, and wanted him to run the point guard position. I mean, that's Rick's baby. So I, I find it hard to believe that you're just going to get this kid in, an 18-year-old, and who has no idea really the system Tennessee runs, uh, who hasn't, you know, doesn't have an off-season under his belt, doesn't have the summer or the fall, October preseason practice, and just throw him on the floor and, and expect him to help you out. Because uh, you have to question, do you want to burn this kid? This kid could be a redshirt. You don't want to burn a year of eligibility, you know, for five, six minutes a night. Can he make a real impact? I, I would assume they shift Josiah Jordan-James to point guard since that's what he is naturally. Uh, and then they kind of adjust with Devontae Gaines or Olivier Kimlar or others kind of uh, getting more minutes with Lamonte out. So I guess it's just a factor of how quickly he gets here. It's clear about NCAA and SEC in terms of the academics, which I don't think anybody's concerned about that. And then how quickly he can learn the system and prove that, that he can be reliable on the floor. If he can build a trust level, sure, throw him out there and see if he can help your team. Um, but if you can't, I don't really think you should rush it because – Honestly, I don't really know what the ceiling is for the team or how much they're playing for, but you really don't want to waste a year of eligibility unless he's really going to help you. Hey, Grant, what stands out to you in terms of what Tennessee needs to do this weekend against Wisconsin, a quality team coming in, and 
the final kind of tune-up before SEC play begins next Saturday against LSU? I think they kind of need to be Wisconsin. I think when you think of Wisconsin basketball, uh, you think of fundamental basketball, you think of really good defensive basketball, uh, kind of lock you down and slow the game down and, and not be in a real big hurry pace-wise. I think they need to do that. Uh, this is You're talking about, what, eight scholarship freshmen at this point? And four, I mean, uh, eight scholarship players, and four of them are freshmen, uh, which is incredible. I mean, you have, a, you have a senior in Jordan Bowden, you have a redshirt junior, uh, in Jalen Johnson, who can barely see the floor, and then the rest of these guys are, you know, it feels like sophomores or younger. Uh, so that they need to get back to playing to their capabilities defensively, uh, and they need to just play fundamental basketball. Don't take a, don't, don't turn it over a ton. Go in transition when you can go in transition. Try to get easy buckets, uh, and just do what this offense can do. What th- this team's problem the last couple of weeks has been, they don't take what they do in practice and try to do it in games, whether that's sharing the basketball and trying to find open shots within the offense, uh, too much of one person dribbling and uh, almost playing iso ball a little bit too much. So if they could just follow a scouting report, kind of slow the game down, and get back to being a, a team that will defend anybody, uh, I think they can they can have some success. Yeah, and taking care of the basketball, that's just going to continue to be a must for this team on offense, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, for sure, because you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're taking the guy – uh, that had 11 assists Saturday against Jacksonville State. You're taking him out of the equation. He had 14 assists in a game earlier this season. Uh, he had 12, in assi- uh, 12 assists in a game earlier this season. So Lamonte was that guy that uh, was bringing the ball up and kind of initiating everything. And he did have his problems with turnovers at times, but so was the rest of this team. And it's hard to judge if it was on the guys around him or on him when he was turning the ball over. Uh, but if you're putting Josiah Jordan James at point guard, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how what, what his assist-to-turnover ratio is and how he can take care of it uh, because, yeah, they're, they're going to have to limit the turnovers, and, and when you take out your fifth-year uh, fifth point guard, that, that's going to be a big problem, but we'll see how they, they handle it Saturday. Tennessee against Wisconsin on Saturday at 1.30 at Thompson Bowling Arena. You can see the game on CBS. Nobody knows that better than Grant Ramey. Follow him on Twitter, at Grant Ramey, and read his work, GoVols247.com, keeping up with Tennessee basketball every day. Grant, I appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. One more time, CBS, CBS, CBS. Thanks, Josh. Grant Ramey of GoVols247.com right here on Locked on Vols. Coming up next, a couple of quick notes on the Tennessee-Indiana game, which is now less than a week away. They'll kick things off next Thursday down in Jacksonville. I'll get to that. A couple of thoughts on uh, bowl games and also something important in the college football world. Coming up next, final segment of Locked on Vols, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I looked at the point spread on Thursday just to see where things kind of stand with Tennessee and Indiana from that side of things. And Tennessee remains a favorite by about a point and a half to two points. And looking at the bet percentage, I looked at actionnetwork.com and Tennessee has received 75% of the bets and 84% of the money is on Tennessee. So it's very much favoring Tennessee out there in the market, it looks like. Now you can look at it and say, well, that kind of scares me when everybody is on Tennessee side but you could also say well Tennessee is trended in a really good direction it makes sense that a lot of people are on Tennessee side the Vols do still have a few things to work through you have the absence of Juwan Jennings in the first half of the game Brandon Kennedy's status is unknown there's a good chance that they're going to be playing without him so the Vols will likely have Jerome Carvin starting at center Riley Locklear is another option and remember Ryan Johnson and Marcus Tatum will be unavailable as they have decided to transfer from Tennessee So uh, that's something to at least keep in mind. The questions along the offensive line 
getting ready for the Indiana game. On the flip side, uh, if you read some of the comments made by Indiana's coaches, the head coach as well as the coordinators as well as quarterback Peyton Ramsey, they were really singing Tennessee's praises, which you would probably expect them to do, talking about the opponent. But there was also a trend with what they were saying. They were talking about Tennessee being big up front. And the development of the defensive line is a big part of the conversation with Tennessee's football team developing. And Indiana's head coach, the offense coordinator, and its quarterback all had the same answer when they were first asked about what stands out about the defense, the big guys up front, and their ability to move, their ability to run and make plays. Tennessee is deep along the defensive line, and that's something that will help against Indiana's football team. I think Tom Allen, the head coach, I think his comparison for Tennessee was Penn State. Penn State has been a really good team, and one of the assistants pointed to Tennessee's schedule, how it's really come on in the second half, and said, Really, Tennessee should be a nine-win team. And you can always play the should-have versus what-happened game. But uh, his point was Tennessee could have beaten Georgia State, should have beaten Georgia State, and Tennessee had a lead to where you could say it should have beaten BYU. And if those two things had happened and everything else plays out the same, we are talking about a 9-3 and football team and then Tennessee season, and its team is viewed very differently. Tennessee's actually probably in a different bowl game if those things had happened. Now, Indiana is also a quality team, and I've mentioned this before. I think you could argue that this would be the best win for either team. Whichever team comes out on top is probably going to say that's the best win of the season. So that's something to keep in mind as well. You're going to hear from Indiana's coach, Tom Allen, coming up on next week's show. You'll also hear from Jeremy Pruitt and some of Tennessee's players next week. So I'll have a lot of Tennessee-Indiana talk for you next week on Locked on Vols. This is a big bowl game weekend. You have bowl games today. Uh, tomorrow on Saturday that's going to be going on including the playoffs so at four o'clock you have LSU and Oklahoma LSU is a big favorite in that game and then Clemson and Ohio State will play coming up Saturday night that's scheduled for an eight o'clock kickoff so you get the playoff games on Saturday and next week on the show I'll have more time to talk about Tennessee and Indiana and I'll probably get a little more on Tennessee's 2020 recruiting class for you as well next week on Locked on Vols. Before I close out today's show, I wanted to mention something that happened earlier this week. Really sad news in the college football world, and that was the passing of Edward Ashoff. And that's probably a name you recognize from his time working with ESPN. When he started at ESPN after leaving the Gainesville Sun, he covered the SEC along with Chris Lowe, and I thought did a really good job then starting doing more national coverage. He had been based out of Atlanta, had moved to Los Angeles in the last couple of years and was doing more again national coverage not only writing but also on SportsCenter I'm sure you've seen him on ESPN if you're following college football he, he did a really good job but well beyond that he was just so well respected uh, he had just turned 34 on Christmas Eve that was his birthday the day that he passed and I think everybody was stunned by the news. I know that I was. I did not know Edward very well. We had met a couple of times at SEC Media Days. He had been on my radio show a few times. But far more important than that, he was a guy that you can very clearly tell if you check out social media or you look at responses to stories that have been written on him. I'll provide a link to the story that was done by Andrea Adelson and Chris Lowe. I'll put that link in the show notes. just had to be so difficult for them to write. And I wanted to bring it up because while this is a podcast that mainly focuses on Tennessee, it of course branches out in the college football world. And Edwards was a guy that really made a really positive impact in the way that he covered college football. He was a Florida grad, but if you 
read his work, if you watched him on TV, you could tell that he was doing his best to tell stories about players and coaches from schools in the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, all around the country. He clearly had a great passion for college football. He had a great appreciation for his job. He had a really good job getting to cover a sport that he really enjoyed being around for ESPN. And he was continuing to grow. You'll see a lot of people say that he was a rising star in the media industry and in, in covering college football. And that was the case. And in the chances that I had to talk to him, he was great. He was close with a lot of people that I know. And that's probably a reason I wanted to bring him up here as well. But I think the lesson that Edward showed was that you can have an allegiance to one school, I guess, and that he was a graduate of the University of Florida. But the way that he followed the sport, covered the sport, and told stories about the sport, I think is the reason that we watch football or sports in general. He had a great passion for it. He was entertained by it. He loved college football, and he wanted to help spread that to other people who love college football as well, and he did a great job with that. So Edward Ashoff was a really good guy who treated people the right way, and it's just unfair what happened. His fiance actually shared a few more details on what happened with his passing after he came down with pneumonia and it ended up taking his life. So I'll I'll share a link to that as well if you're wanting more information. Uh, Just want to read about uh, Ed and all that he did. Uh, He was a guy that made just a really positive impact, and hopefully that's a lesson to all of us that we should try to do the same. Treat people the right way, and it'll go a long way. I appreciate you giving me a few minutes to talk about him. I appreciate you being here on the show today. I'll be back next week talking about Tennessee football. Enjoy football this upcoming weekend. You have the college football playoff, the last weekend of the NFL, so it should be a fun weekend. I'll see you here next time on Locked on Balls.